Sardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Fraudology Podcast, where every week we will dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of a veteran fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. I've focused my life and career on online fraud prevention for over 15 years, working with hundreds of the most well-known e-commerce companies to help them prevent payment fraud and abuse. Welcome to this week's episode of the Fraudology Podcast. I just realized it's episode 30. That feels like such a milestone. When I first started the podcast, I really didn't know what it would become. I didn't know if I could handle a podcast on my own. I didn't know, you know, if anyone would listen or if anyone would want to be interviewed or what I would talk about all the time. And that's all worked itself out. And more than anything, I am just so grateful for you guys for listening, for the insanely kind messages I get on the regular about, you know, specific episodes that were helpful or interviews that you heard or, you know, people that you've met now through hearing them on the podcast. And then you hop on a phone call with them or, you know, it just, it goes on and on. Like the ripple effect is pretty humbling. I started this just as a labor of love, as a way for me to help the community try to stay connected, especially during COVID without in-person events, uh, to get to know each other through interviews. I mean, obviously it's hard because there's a lot of people that work for super large companies that I work with that would love to come on the podcast, but their PR departments frown upon it. Uh, but we do have some really exciting interviews today, or we have an exciting interview today and then also upcoming as well. Um, so I'm, I'm just grateful to everyone who has supported this. So thank you for that. With that, I get to tell you a little bit about the interview you're about to hear. I sat down and spoke with PJ Rollhall, which if you are on LinkedIn at all uh, and connected with anyone in fraud, I feel like you probably know who PJ is, but he's the co-founder of About Fraud, and he's also a fraud market expert at Feature Space. PJ is a passionate fraud fighter. He's been fraud fighting for about 10 years. He started out on the front lines and now is in a role supporting uh, financial institutions as well as large e-commerce companies uh, that work with feature space. And he share, we share a lot of passions, especially around you know fostering education and collaboration among fraud fighters, really having a passion for this industry. But about a year ago, I learned that PJ and I share something else. And that is that we both have been open about our issues with mental health in an effort to really fight the stigma. I should say that actually PJ is the one that inspired me to share this. This is something that 
is embarrassing. I, mean, I guess that's why there's a stigma, right? Uh, but I have depression and anxiety. And sometimes I think it makes me a better fraud fighter. My anxiety can make me extremely passionate about things and very focused, but the depression can be hard when it's, you know, hard to hop on a phone call or I'm just not feeling like myself. And especially in the last year and a half, it's been a challenge. It's kind of been like an EKG machine with highs and lows. Um, but I know I'm not alone in that. And I know PJ and I both aren't alone in dealing with mental health in addition to fighting fraud. And so we have been talking about doing an episode and a conversation like this for a while. And luckily, we both had some time on our schedule and were able to hop on a call and do this. PJ, I am so happy to have you here. We've talked about this for a while. And just thank you so much for making time on your schedule to have this conversation. Absolutely, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. I've wanted to chat with you on this for, for a long time. So uh, I'm excited to hop on and talk about uh, fraud and some other different topics that uh, aren't traditionally featured on your show. <laughs> Which is one reason why we wanted to do this. So let's kind of start with with fraud fighting. I'd love to learn more about your career path and your journey. How did you get into fighting fraud and what are you doing now? Like a lot of people, I didn't come up studying fraud or go to school for fraud prevention. I studied finance, actually, and you kind of bounced around there for a little while. And about 10 years ago, started just in a fraud investigator analyst role with eBay Enterprise. So they had just acquired GSI Commerce, and they had a full full fraud solution, amongst other things, for helping e-commerce merchants. So I started out as an investigator, worked my way up in operations. I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed the, the investigative aspect. I'll actually say, as I look at all of the, the my peers there, there is people who were definitely better at investigating than I was. They, they had that they had that skill, that bug, but it was very interesting to me. And really just the whole industry was interesting from, from the products, from the technology, the business, the relevancy of the technology then, and it wasn't really going away. So I started to kind of learn a little bit more about the product management side uh, a little bit more. I did some marketing. So I was kind of helping out in multiple different areas. And then while I was there, I co-founded About Fraud, which we can get some more into. But then I also moved over to Feature Space, which is a, a fraud fighting solution. And there I'm a fraud SME where I use my fraud experience kind of in ops, having used different solutions and, and, and understand the pain points to apply to our technology and at different points. So with the product team, with the commercial team, just understanding those pain points, because as you know, there's there's many of them. So that's a very brief overview of my background. Well, but it makes perfect sense. I mean, I think, especially starting out at GSI Commerce or eBay Enterprise, which I think now is Ra radio? Is, is radio. Yeah. Radial. Okay. There was there was a name transition there as well, but yes. <laughs> right. Radial now. You, know, you really got to see a 10,000 foot view because you were fighting fraud on behalf of a lot of different companies, primarily in retail. But I would imagine that that gave you, especially in the operations side, just so much insight that you're now able to apply in your current role of feature space. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it was, it was retail customers, but that included digital only customers with, with gift cards and, mm. and fraud trends there. And as you know, different verticals, different fraud trends, yep. understanding it from being on the investigator and op standpoint and, and managing alerts and managing uh, chargeback versus your false positive rates. And so mm. 
So under, and understanding those those customer calls, they were always so pleasant to deal with. Chasm there is possible. Yes. <laughs> As you move to then understanding, well, what do you want in a product? What do you want in a user interface? Mm-hmm. What do you want in analytics? It, it's good to have that view and, and have that understanding because those are the people that are going to be using the technology and are going to be experiencing it on a daily basis. So it was it was really valuable experience. And I met a lot of people at GSI Commerce, at Radial, through About Fraud, who just taught me a lot, taught me a lot about where they came in to fraud fighting and, the, and their different skill sets that they have. So it was, and we will probably get into this, just the community is really strong. Another thing that kind of gravitated me towards staying in the industry. I agree. And I have to say, on feature spaces part, I think it's so smart when solution providers hire people with operational experience who have actually been in the trenches oftentimes, and it's just the way it is, like sometimes you talk to vendors who haven't ever been in the trenches and it's almost like the difference between somebody who's read the owner's manual for a car versus those of us who have driven that car, right? And we can still have some familiarity, but there's just, there's some things that like, it's just different, right? Yeah, no, 100%. And I mentioned the people radio, but since I've been in feature space, there's a whole team of fraud SMEs, people on the banking side who've taught me so much people with not a decade of experience, but 20, 30 years. So it's, it's been an amazing place to learn at feature space and see how they're innovative. So uh, yeah, I just love learning from my coworkers each day. That's awesome. I think that's something I love about fraud too, is just we're never done learning. And some of some people don't like that. I love that part. <laughs> so uh, you brought it up, but I often say that most of us end up in fraud by accident and stay on purpose. What are you know some of the things about the industry that really got you hooked? Yeah. So I mentioned the relevance of the solutions and technology. I honestly was yeah. looking at it from a career standpoint, like, wow, this is going to be around for a very long time. Mm. And it's So it's very, very relevant and whatever, whether you're a solution provider, whether you're on the banking or the merchant side, the users, it's something that if you grow and learn and learn a lot about it, you're going to, it's going to be a good career path. But also not only that, that type of uh, job security, but also you're doing a really good, a really good thing too. So, so in limiting fraud. And I kind of knew that going in, I think anybody who doesn't work in fraud is not like, oh, fraud's a great thing. They, they know it's a bad thing. But as I learned more and about, especially some of the scams, the, the, the social engineering, the, the impact on some of these people psychologically, it's just like, this is, this is bad. This is, this is, this is a really bad impact on people financially. Like I said, psychologically, we'll get into a mental health component. So I think those kind of tied together. So the purpose of it to sum up the purpose of fraud fighting is a big reason I'm saying it. I 100% back that up. I think it is good to have a purpose. And I mean, sometimes, sometimes we can feel like ineffective superheroes, but we are still have superhero complexes and components at times. (laughs) Yeah, it, it's all it's all relative. Super heroic things, and and you know, so I I try to stay within my lanes. How heroic that stuff really actually is, but it's it, it's really value add. I guess it's tangible because so many people do awesome, amazing work in their roles. They're adding clear value, but you can you can see it at the end of the day. Point back to it. You can just touch it a little bit more. Some of the things that you're actually doing, whether it's saving people from fraud or enabling them to actually operate with with their customer experience uh, a little bit better. So yeah, it's just a little bit easier to connect into. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, and it is finding a balance, right? And we're not doing brain surgery, but we're also are trying to keep the internet 
to be a safe place, or at least trying to have it be a safe place, as safe as it can be. So you mentioned about fraud, and I would love to learn, have you share a little bit more about why you wanted to be a part of it and what motivates you to keep it up. Ronald Kradich and myself co-founded it almost four years ago. So we were looking out in the industry, lots of good information and education and resources and associations, but we didn't see it all in one place, kind of like a, a jumping off point for searching solution providers, searching articles, finding reports. So that's in essence why we built it. We were looking at um, solution providers, trying to understand how this one differed from this one, in what industry, and it was very confusing. And there was, as you know, always solution providers being added to the market, and then some are condensing. A lot of them say, right? Yeah, some, <laughs> some are being acquired, some say one thing, and it's the exact same thing as another. So. We're not trying to be biased anyway. We're just trying to provide profiles and information and an unbiased resource. And that's how it jumped off. And I guess it it kind of scaled uh, a lot through LinkedIn because who we were targeting were people who work in fraud prevention mm-hmm. or risk-related roles, AML. So people were there. They go to LinkedIn to connect professionally with resources and education and networking. So it, it was a natural synergy. And we just wanted to be helpful and, and not salesy, not trying to sell them anything, which is generally pretty helpful and content that they liked. So we tried to keep with that message and try and empower and just enlighten you know fraud fighters out there. That's as as I as I mentioned kind of the the purpose behind it. I'm every time I meet different people, I I I see things people are doing that I'm just kind of blown away by. So it seems like a great industry, a great community to provide those resources, but also celebrate the great things people are doing that we're not aware of. So that was that was the inspiration four years later. It's going well. We've gotten great feedback. So we're just going to keep plugging along and see, see how big we can grow it. Well, I'm a big fan of it. And I also always appreciate you guys, including me in the consulting space as far as providing my consultancy as a resource on the site, as well as I think the podcast too. So you guys have been very supportive of me and I've had the privilege of meeting both you and Ronald in person (laughs) pre-pandemic. I got to meet him in Tel Aviv of all things, and he's actually from Germany. So that was fun. But what are some of the most rewarding things about creating this community of About Fraud? I mean, I think it comes back to the resources and helpful information we provide people. So on LinkedIn, we try to be engaging, try to, we want people to comment, want people to like, to celebrate. So pretty much every, each and every comment that comes back that, oh, this is, this is a great resource. Thank you. Something simple, like this is really helpful. I love to see, I'm a weirdo and try very hard to look at every, every comment and, and either respond or like, or, or do something to acknowledge that I've seen that because it means a lot to me that people, it was helpful or people who send in emails to say that this was really helpful. I've been getting a lot of use on the page. How can I get involved? What, whatever it is, I think the most rewarding thing is getting that feedback that it's actually helping people because we're not providing a product or a technology. We're not really selling anything to the community. So it's good to get that feedback and it it's good to feel like it's genuine and and people are actually enjoying what we're putting out there. Yeah, I can completely relate to that. I I think whenever you create something, put it out into the world, it does feel good to know that it was helpful because that's why we do it, right? And I I know that about fraud isn't your your main source of income or close. Um, <laughs> you know, similar to my podcast, right? But these are the things that we really love doing. And I think it gives us an outlet as well to feel like we're 
contributing to this industry and this community that's been such a big part of our own careers and our own lives. Completely. And you get to meet so many different people too. Yeah. As I've grown in my career and found new opportunities, it's because I've met people who yeah. introduced me to these opportunities or taught me something that I didn't know. And I, that's not always the easiest. It, it can depend on your personality, your network, your like, I want to hopefully facilitate that and mm-hmm. connect people with consultancies like you, with Frank McKenna, who we get a chance to talk to, like all these really smart people. We did a Fraud Fighter 2.0 program where we brought in some industry experts like Ian Mitchell, mm. all these other guys who who have great presence in the industry and lots of awesome things to share, but you, you just aren't going to meet this person by, you know, yeah. So, so maybe you can get connected to them somehow. Maybe you can contribute to other organizations, nonprofits. I mean, there's, there's associations like the ACFE and all, all these, there's already associations out there. So we're just trying to connect the dots here. So yeah, it's, it's, I think the, it, the second part of the rewarding part would be being able to connect people who were not previously connected. I am an obsessive people connector, so I can totally relate to that. I think if that was all I could do all day, I would love it. Uh, I think that's something so unique about our industry that you've really touched on, too, is just the community piece. I don't know how... I don't know a lot about other industries, but I do know that it's not super common to know your counterparts at other companies all over the world. And I, I really enjoy facilitating those conversations, too, and it can be real magic. Sure. There's a good level of humbleness from what I hear. It's like, I know a certain bit about this subject. I'm really deep here, but I'm not as strong over here. Yeah. Spent your life helping merchants detect fraud or helping merchants. That's a little different than than an FI, a bank, a retail Mm -hmm. bank. And that's something appreciating that you're not the end all expert and then connecting the ones that are going to give you that great insight from different sides of it and different skill set. I mentioned the investigator aspect. Like I was kind of like, yeah, these some of these other investigators are a little bit better than I am. Like, <laughs> and I'm trying. Uh, like, like, like they they see they see some things in these patterns that I don't quite exactly see. But then I I looked at the product side and the business, and it resonated a bit more. But that's I think a humbleness, being being bright, being smart, being driven, but also being humble to know what you know and and how you can just kind of help and, and do your part. Yeah. Yeah. We can all contribute in our own ways. And yeah, that's one of my favorite things. I think we all, at least those of us who have stayed in it and who really have an appreciation, almost a respect for fraud fighting, we understand that we'll never know everything, yeah. but that's the great thing about meeting awesome people is that they can kind of fill the gaps and really, but I do think there are some core personality traits or yeah. common goals or or maybe it's principles that we all kind of have in common so sure. we have like this underlying most of us have a strong sense of justice we have voracious curiosity we yeah uh, and so those are kind of the ties that bind right we might have different areas of expertise but those underlying factors i think is also where we can kind of like become insta friends and in like 5 minutes you're talking about like false positive rates and doing all these crazy yeah. things yeah there's poor drivers and some people yeah. want to look at it from an analytics standpoint they want yeah. to manage the rules or even get into like machine learning mm. some people want want to be investigators and just get into those cases <laughs> deep cases and that's your thing but overall we're still driving at the same thing and it's yep. very it's still very important to us and and you need people who have those different skill sets if they were all the exact same thing the fraud team would not be very good so i like i like that i like celebrating it and and you've 
if you've worked on a team before, you've seen the, the especially ops, the crazy hours people work, weekends on the nights. And I know there's, there's jobs out there where people work long hours, but I know fraud fighters and I know weekends and I put in weekends and my wife is tolerating me putting in weekends. When, so, so I like, there's a recent thing we did, which is weekend warriors. So yeah. and whether it's somebody investigating orders or alerts or transactions, or somebody writing papers on the weekend about how to protect people against scams. That's all really good stuff. So it's, it, I, and I think we should celebrate it basically. I agree. I think that's been a fun thing you guys have done on LinkedIn. And for anyone who's running a team and has weekend warriors, I would really encourage you to reach out to PJ and submit a recommendation. Recommendation. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know why yeah. I was just brain blanking there, but yeah. Nomination. It's really, it's really yeah, informal yeah. and it doesn't have to be some people might think it's like it has to reach the criteria. It's, hey, is this person kicking butt and going above and beyond? Mm. And especially if they're doing things at evening and night hours, but just somebody who's going above and beyond like that is 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 a candidate. Not all of us in fraud get recognition very often. So I love that <laughs> you guys have been doing We certainly don't do it for that anyway. <laughs> yeah, you get yelled on the phone, especially now, you get on the phones where you get told why the loss is so high. Yeah. Or why are the uh, false positives? So, so yeah. But yeah, internally and externally, there can be, uh, you know, you can be put on the spot. Meanwhile, here's not enough budget for your solution, by the way. So. Oh, yes. Yes. All of those fun things. <laughs> So switching gears, and in addition to fighting fraud, you and I have bonded over another aspect of our lives that doesn't get discussed as much in our industry. And this is one reason why we've been wanting to have this conversation. And that's around mental health. Can you share a little bit of your story on the subject? Yes, absolutely. So this is, I guess, on my LinkedIn, I have I have future space, I have about fraud, and I have mental health advocacy, which has mm. been something more recently up there. But I love talking about it. It's not always easy. It wasn't easy to initially do it, to talk about my own personal challenges with mental health. But it completely shaped my life from adolescence all the way to where I am in my career now. So I have common challenges, but they are very very, they're, they're not discussed very often. So with anxiety and OCD, and I'm, I'm, I'm careful to say this doesn't apply just to that, but it's a platform that I know it's talking about anxiety and OCD to, to raise awareness where people are not stigmatizing it as much and talking more about it. So I, I mean, I don't want to get into diagnosis, but I've been, I've been working through this for about 20 years. And you go back to late high school, college, really trying to achieve a lot academically and athletically, which was great. I love the working hard thing. That's awesome. It kind of spun into something that was uh, a little out of control on the anxiety side. I'm not, not knowing as much about it. I got a, a little help, but then there was there wasn't, it wasn't talked about very much. And I pretty much thought I alone was going insane from, from this. So it led to some, some, some setbacks and ones that actually probably diverted me into the fraud fighting industry. So, and that I'd like to thank it and tap it on the back for, for, for getting me here. But I've learned through lots of trials uh, on what works for me, what helps me kind of work through this and kind of manage it. And it's been awesome. Is it, is it still a hundred percent? No, but I think even if, I think it's important, even if you're not, you know, diagnosed, let's get the names aside. Everyone should be trying to keep mental health. That's really, really important. And it's really important for companies, whether people 
uh, are diagnosed or not to promote that open conversation. So I think that's where on LinkedIn, I was like, hey, professionals, companies, this is probably not where people like to talk about it. Why don't I share my story and encourage others to do as, do it as well where, where they're comfortable because just somebody talking about it and being like, wow, they're, they're going through that too. That's, that's, I feel a little bit less alone. So that that's been the mission. I haven't turned it into any nonprofit or anything past that. I maybe one day, but right now I just, I think talking about it openly with whatever platform I have is, is hopefully an advantage. I really appreciate that. I, I have to tell you, I've always felt more comfortable not discussing my own battles. I have a depression and anxiety as well, and it went undiagnosed for quite a while because it's not talked about, right? And I just thought that I just got really overwhelmed. <laughs> and I think being a high achiever, anxiety can sometimes go hand in hand with that. And I really didn't didn't come to terms with it and get those diagnoses until I had just completely complete corporate burnout. I mean, I just put myself, my whole self into my career and loved that, but wasn't taking care of my physical health or my mental health and just kind of had a complete burnout breakdown, whatever you want to call it and realize, oh, okay. And once you can actually name it and, and understand it, I think it does um, take away some of its power and, and gives you some of the power to be able to then find the right strategies for you. And I think it's a, it's not a straight line. <laughs> so no. Sometimes it's an EKG machine of like super highs and <laughs> really lows, especially when one of my favorite authors talks about the combination of depression, and anxiety, and she's like, you're either really, really sad or really, really excited. <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. these very high in, highs and lows. But I mean, there's been times in, in my career, where I haven't been able to get out of bed in the morning and it's, I have a very hard time saying that like publicly. I, I have had a hard time saying that, but I think two things have really encouraged me to start having the the courage and the strength to do that. And one is seeing you be so open about it and really appreciate that, that you have been normalizing it and you made it easier for me to say, yeah, you know what? Like put my hand up in the air. Like I, I got these things too. And the other thing that has encouraged me to be more open about it and have this conversation on this podcast too, is that especially over the last year and a half, I think people who haven't struggled with anxiety and depression have had pieces of that, whether it's diagnosed or not, or just like overwhelm and freak out or just really being in a low place or those people who had it a little bit, it's been exasperated. And I'm hearing from a lot of fraud fighters that are really struggling, especially over the last year. And I think it's important to me and I know it's important to you for people to know like you're not alone. And also it it's not all bad, right? I mean, just like you said, some of it is, I think like some of it's responsible for your career path. For me, I think it helps me have some empathy for fraud fighters as, as well as victims of scams. It also propels me in some ways. I mean, there's just, there's different, I try to look at the good as well. I guess that's part of the coping mechanisms as well. <laughs> no, but it's, it's, it's true. I think that that's not even a coping mechanism as much as that's a reality. There's good aspects to mm -hmm. these things. And I don't want to speak for all mental health challenges, right? I, I know what I know. There's varying degrees of of the of these challenges. And and so, but there's it's okay to understand your kind of inherent personality and what may have led to some of these things. Some are genetic, some are you know, 
and use that as kind of inspiration to not put such a negative lens on on everything. Like with OCD, there's lots of different types of OCD, but my willingness to be more thorough and check through things and not be as comfortable with doubt helps in some situations as far as my my career. But in, in other areas, it's a little over the top. So it's it's important to know that. And, and yes, I think talk even the statement of it's hard to get out of bed in the morning, like, like that's that's okay. And that's okay that some days will be that rock bottom mess and having an outlet, having understanding how you can get certain tools in your toolbox to be able to, to work through these things is really important, but, but you have to be able to be able to talk about it and call some of these things, what it is. You don't walk into an office these days and say, I, my, my depression is really acting up. And, and if you do fantastic, and that's an amazing work environment, but, and that's not going to happen tomorrow, but the more we can get these conversations. And I, I think with Mental Health Awareness Month and all the things you see in society, we are headed that direction. Mm-hmm. It's just doing what you can, doing your part, anyone's part to to speak up about it and normalize it. I think there's some strength in saying, I'm not okay. Like, it's... I mean, obviously, if it's every day, I think it's important to seek outside help. And I've found a my own not I don't I don't know if I'd say coping mechanisms, but just management of them. Man, yeah, sure. yeah. You know, I've found like how I start the day in the morning really matters. I try hard not to open up my email or my LinkedIn first thing in the morning or the news and instead try to put on happy music on Spotify when I first wake up in my earbuds or I have a gratitude journal like focusing on the things that I'm grateful for really grounds me I have a harder time with meditation because sitting still is challenging for me but I do it when I when I really need it I go to acupuncture I have a therapist like there's different layers of of help that I think are important, but I think also just kind of having, being realistic with yourself, because I think sometimes I try to put the same expectations on myself as somebody who doesn't have these struggles. And then when I'm not able to do all the things that I wanted to do in a day, which is like nine days out of 10 usually, but part of that's also because I just and have the list person in the world exactly. who never gets accomplished what they want. <laughs> but for some reason, you feel like you're the only person who doesn't yes. accomplish what they want. Because yes. that's how human brains work. And uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some days I don't get it done because I put too many things on my list. And other days I don't get it done because I hit a wall at one o'clock and I just like can't think. But then there are other days that I'm like on all cylinders and I pump out a bunch of stuff. And so yeah. I've tried to work on giving myself more grace. And I know that that is... I, I just, I hope that that's something that more people do. I would probably tell other people to give themselves even more grace than I give myself. Cause again, human brains has been, will often say, stop shooting yourself with all the should. But yeah, I mean, I think being, knowing that like all we can do is our best, right? There's a, a podcast I listen to about, you know, the, the title is around doing your best and the song, like the opening song is basically, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing my best. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that's just like my quote for the day. And and breaking down the, the, I think the misconception where you have to be this, go 100%, mm. you know, all the time, that's what winners do. Like, right. and, and and you'll never, nothing ever bad happens because frankly, those are the people that if you're not opening up about it and talking about it, there's probably risk of, of what you call it burnout, you could call it a, 
a kind of a deep hole that you, you fall into. So that's where if you're if you're an employer and you want hopefully you're empathetic and you want good, happy, healthy employees. Mm. But do you want just the best business results too? Because there's plenty of information out there that suggests the more that you create an open, inclusive work environment, you'll get people talking about these things, mm-hmm. having slight dips, but, but they, they, they know they can talk to people about it and work through it and trust the environment they work in. And they just, they, they're more productive and they get better work done. So you're going to get better business results. You're not going to... Yeah. So I, I think it has a good business case. I think it has a good just humanitarian case to it and you can look at it from all of those angles it doesn't have to be exclusively you know everyone just talk about mental health and be open and free and we have this business that isn't meeting our goals now because we're not you know right we're not talking about using it as an excuse or a crutch it's it's more like just being honest with where we're at and i think it, it does lead to productivity if you feel like you have support that way yeah yeah, I, I I completely think think that's true. Otherwise, and, you try to compartmentalize, and then you just like explode for no reason. I mean, I can look back on some of the times I was in corporate America where I would just get so overwhelmed with my anxiety, and at the time I didn't know that's what it was. I would just start crying, like, and and I think my coworkers thought I was bananas, but it was because I cared so much, I cared so deeply, and because I wasn't sleeping, and I was just go 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 go. And it came out in that way, but it didn't mean that, I mean, it didn't mean I was an emotional mess. I wish somebody would have just said like, Hey, maybe you need a day off. Like rather than what the yeah. heck is your problem? You need like when talking about like female hormones and other things that other comments that were made, like that's not constructive. Right. And I'm not saying I credit work every day by any means, but there were definitely days where I would just get so overwhelmed that it was either going to come out in me screaming at someone or crying so I chose the one that did damage on myself not someone else yeah no you got to go a layer deeper and and, and this mm-hmm. is people it's you got what, what you know what's going on somebody who can open up to you or you can open up to and talk about be professional still right like you can be professional you can be motivated you can be all these things that I feel like people think you can't be if you talk about these type of things at the same time. So, and, and it'll end up in it with it with a better result, anyways. Yeah, and obviously read the room. I mean, if you have a, a you know team member or a boss who isn't super supportive or understanding, like maybe they're not the first person you you know confide in or <laughs> tell them that you have this. Yeah. But also having an outlet, having people to talk to, friends, family, therapy is is wonderful. I mean, I don't really think it's wonderful, like right before going into it, but <laughs> usually afterwards or a couple of days later, I'm like, oh, it was helpful just to kind of like get that out to somebody who understands what to do with it. And he was impartial. So I don't know if it's just in fraud, like kind of bringing it, tying it back to fraud fighting and, and mental health. Like I do feel like there are a lot of fraud fighters who do have, you know, some component of mental health, whether it's diagnosed or not diagnosed or whether it's temporary or permanent. And, and maybe it's just because this is the industry I know, or maybe it's tech in general. But what do you, you know, why would you think that fraud fighting and mental health battles can go hand in hand? I mean, is it a correlation? Is it a causation? Is it because of the people that, you know, are drawn to this? Is it because we, we fight tirelessly sometimes and, and burn ourselves out? Like what's, where do you stand on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that can happen in lots of different industries. You mentioned just overall. I think in here with with some of the prerequisites to to being in it and being in 
being involved in, in working at the, the, the hours you're going to be working, or if, if you're not working crazy hours, there's still pressure on you for, for whatever your responsibilities are. Sure, it can, but I, I think it extends to other industries and it's going to be, it's going to be case by case, but it, it definitely is, is an element within fraud fighting. I do hope that people who, because why we get into this and you will stay in it is, is the purpose. Mm. And a component of that is, you know, actually, not when fraud happens, especially scams, the, the, the type of emotional things that happen to people. And, and it, these are especially scams, traumatic events. So hopefully people can relate to the, the work they're doing and understanding they're trying to prevent some of these type of things. So it's, it's good work you're doing, but in the same time, you need to look out for your, for your own mental health. And, and, and I think, yeah, so I, I, I think it's, it's, there's a, there's a component that's a fraud fighting, but it's, it's unfortunately outside of that industry as well. Right. Yeah. I would say though, especially for people who work for companies where content moderation is a factor, moderating user-generated content that can definitely add to (laughs) having mental health challenges when you're looking at exploitative content online. I know some of the social media companies have pretty extensive emotional support resources for those teams, but even with payment fraud, I mean, even though we're, we kind of sometimes feel distance from it. I think there is this component of like wanting to save people or help people that sometimes we can put them, the victims, whether it's a company, a victim company or a victim consumer ahead of our own. So I, I see that component and and I think it's just, you know, but I agree, it's certainly not isolated to fraud prevention, but I do think that to a certain extent, what we do can lend to it if we don't put some boundaries in place. At least I speak from experience. (laughs) Yeah. So the empathy can be good understanding those struggles and mental health struggles with some of the victims right but being careful how you take care of yourself too because you're you're in a you're in an environment that could be challenging for you too so i can see right. yeah. yeah yeah i mean it's the whole put your oxygen mask on first thing right yeah <laughs> So I think a lot of us have been scared to open up about our struggles because it can be like embarrassing and and lead to shame. And I think that like sharing it seems scary, but not sharing it can lead to being in the dark and more shame and isolation. So what are some or or have there been good surprises from opening up publicly about your anxiety and OCD? Yeah, I think looking back, they shouldn't have been surprises because because if you think about it, what there's at least the things people say to me are, <laughs> uh, are, are, are very positive. It's, 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 it's people can relate with either it or know somebody who, who has gone through it or, or gone through something similar. Like there's always some type of connection. So I guess I was surprised by that, but looking at it, I'm less as, as I go through it because people, everyone are, are just human beings and you, and you look at, you put people up on a pedestal, whether it's their role or, or whatever they do, but and you put yourself in this box, like you're the only one going through it, but it's so not like that. So if you do reach out and and be vulnerable and and kind of share these things, it will probably be well-received. And I don't want to put a stamp on that, but of course, in a public forum, especially if you go outside of LinkedIn and up, there's not so positive people in this world, right? So that's, that's less of what I've encountered, but there is, of course, that element. And I think thinking that, thinking that could happen, what drove me was just the purpose behind it. Like there's, it's just more important. Like if I happen to connect with somebody who then goes and talks about it, 
or explore something they wouldn't have. And it actually makes that one person's life a little bit better. Like I can handle what might come back from somebody else. So Mm -hmm. yeah, as, as much as you can embrace that purpose, and just lean into the uncomfortableness that's it's consistent with other things in life you got to lean into some of it sometimes mm-hmm. and it, it is good on the other side and hopefully us sharing that it, we've gotten good feedback and it's been rewarding and mm-hmm. it's only made us want to well once you share more it's still scary right it can still be it, it can still be scary <laughs> oh yeah um, but 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 it's it hasn't been that kind of doomsday the worst thing that you mm-hmm. think of in your mind yeah, I think for me, it's led to some more camaraderie. I mean, you and I, just as an example, right? And there's other frog fires too, but you and I have that commonality, that common bond. So we understand, like, <laughs> I just had like a whole bunch of crazy things happen in my house right before we jumped on here. And I was like, ah, and just trying to like center myself. And you were like, wasn't well, that timely? I'm like, oh, story of my life. But yeah, because we have that common bond, right? Like we get it. We sometimes overwhelm can lead to freakouts. But if but I've also learned, okay, I'm just gonna sit here, I'm gonna put both my feet on the ground, take a deep breath, and then be like, all right, I'm talking to PJ now. I'm not dealing with the dog's walking schedule and the child's school schedule and all the other and all the yeah. stuff I need to do for clients. Like none of that. It's just okay, I'm right here. It's not always sunshine and rainbows, but it is I think that's part of it. I think the other thing has been it's been beneficial for me to share it or to have other people share what they're struggling with, especially this last year, because it does help me realize, oh, I'm not the only one. And I hope that I've had a similar impact on other people. I can particularly sometimes be really bad at replying to some specific types of emails or messages. And that's because of my anxiety, because I get very like, I don't know, I can't even explain it, but just my brain is like, ah, it's kind of scary. I'm just going to deal with it later. And then I forget. It's really hard to explain a brain. So no, no. that's the other thing. Take comfort. If you can't explain what your brain's doing, that is completely normal. If you can't explain what your brain's doing, then we need to have a talk. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this this is very true. Yeah. But it's like, I can't explain why it's hard for me to reply to some emails, but then I just feel like a big jerk. So now sometimes I'm just like, you know what? I I have this problem. We pile like shame and like guilt and like on top of all this. When the the initial anxiety or something wasn't actually that bad, probably by itself, but you pile all this other stuff on top of it and you've made this thing enormous. And Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I've been trying though to like, I don't know. I I don't know if anyone understands, but I do try to like say, Hey, you know what? Like I struggle with sometimes replying to emails in a timely way. Like I've got all the reminders and all the things, but, and like Dr. Seuss says, the people who mind don't matter and the people who matter don't mind. And I obviously prioritize things, but it's like, I try to remind myself of that. Yeah. And it, it probably looks way different through your eyes than it does through any, anybody else's. And you can yeah, think that true. it's a nice, it's a lovely thought, but still you, it doesn't make you feel that right. much better because you're like, yeah, well, I'm looking through my eyes and I'm feeling well. <laughs> yeah. Then, I'm shooting yeah. myself as usual. Yeah. Well, and that is something that's been kind of interesting. Like when I first shared it, there were, or like when I first shared that I have struggled with imposter syndrome over the years, there's, I struggled. I've opened up about that, especially at like female events, like my fearless female fraud fighter retreat we had in or virtual retreat we had in January and some other events. And it's funny, some, I mean, not funny, haha, but someone, women will say, why do you have imposter syndrome? Like you shouldn't have that. And I'm like, well, then neither should you. And that's kind of, I think what we're getting at with this too, right? Like if we 
can be open about it. Like, so can you, if we are judging ourselves and you're like, why would you guys judge yourselves? Because you guys both are pretty well respected in the industry. And well, then maybe you shouldn't have as much self-judgment either. I guess that's how I'd turn it around. (laughs) Completely. Now, and I, I see imposter syndrome like everywhere. So pretty much everybody else thinks that everyone else knows everything and they know nothing. That's what I've concluded uh-huh. in this. And so good point. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to turn it around for myself. Like as long as I'm being myself, then I'm not an imposter. But it, definitely that those m- words of like you're not qualified, and it probably partially comes from being in an industry where you can't go to school for it, right? So there yeah. is that humility piece where you're like, yeah. It also feels like the people who don't have imposter syndrome maybe should have imposter or, do, or don't appear to have imposter syndrome. And maybe they do. And that's how they, that's how they, they overcompensate. Yeah. I, we don't need to go into all that, but I think it's basically it's, it's not good that you have it. Right. Clearly you're self-aware enough to, to know, to, to be concerned that you're, right. you don't know enough. And that means you're going to work hard and you're going to drive and, and whatever that feeling is, you can just put to the side mm-hmm. because it has zero value for you. Now, again, it's very easy for me to say, just put that to the side. Right. But you're, you're coming from a very motivated, healthy place mm-hmm. because you care enough to care that you don't think you know enough. That actually makes perfect sense. I'm tracking that 100%. I've often said, I mean, specific to fraud prevention, but I think just everything in life too, like the people who think that they know everything, that means that at some point they stopped learning. And there definitely are egos in this industry, just like there are in other industries. But I do think that the majority of us do have that humility to say, I don't know everything. You know, maybe I, maybe I don't know if I'm the right person to talk about it, but somebody needs to talk about it. So I'll do it. You know, kinds of things. And I feel like when I don't feel qualified to do something, I try to remind myself of the times that I didn't feel qualified to do something before. And then I crushed it. Mm. This whole thing, notion of courage leads to confidence. I don't know. I did this exercise through a group coaching thing a couple of years ago where we listed out everything we'd ever done that took courage that we could remember, like as far back as we could remember from childhood. And some people were like, I got up on stage at the talent show in fourth grade and sang, even though I can't carry a note, I had a bit of a darker childhood. So I wasn't like that, but still it, I ended up having like six pages, single spaced in a Google document. And that really helped me. And when I don't feel qualified, I go back and, oh yeah, I remember that time. I didn't think I could speak at a conference and now I do it all the time. Okay. Well, this is similar kind of, I don't know if we're giving away practical advice, that's something I would We talked about like the channel, what practically can I do? And that's good for people who are trying to break through that. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing that with female fraud fighters, whoever it is, that's great stuff. And don't be afraid to take, if you're listening and you know, people are doing things like this, tap into that because it can seem a little weird and silly. Like it's not your normal career, uh, kind of building up your career, but those are, those are, that takes time. That is psychology. Mm -hmm. That's kind of undoing some some stuff that was not, that isn't as productive for you. So, so that, that I think, whether in fraud fighting or not, that's, that's tremendous value. And the more actionable advice we can provide people on that, the better. Yeah. When I did the survey for fearless female fraud fighters, as far as future content, there was only one or two people who actually wanted to talk about fraud. It was mostly personal development because I think that's the piece that has been left out. 
And it's kind of like a choose your own adventure thing. But if you're not comfortable with it, or if you're not seeking it out, you may not find it. And so that's kind of what we've centered it around, right? The first one was around building confidence. And the next one, we're still working out the theme. But yeah, I think doing those practical things and just being honest with yourself, like we're not robots, we can't do it all. And so what do we need in the moment, right? Like maybe we just need to sit and do nothing. Maybe we need to play with our kids. Like maybe we need to go outside, like something like that. It's giving ourselves permission to do that is take, make some time, but it can be really worth it. Yeah, I didn't come up with any really good actionable things, so you one up me there. But I oh, was thinking, no, no, uh, no, no, no. I'm just thinking now, like, what, what do I, what have I done that's been super helpful to me? And I don't want this to be overwhelming for people. Yeah, um, especially because there's different personalities. And hundred, like, these are just like, things that have been helpful for us. Yeah, I liked. <laughs> I generally speaking would not turn down a conversation to just learn about something different or meet somebody. So that's mm-hmm. gotten me into a lot of and and there wasn't always a direct value for me in it. Like, oh, this is going to get you a job or this is going to get you this. But I met met somebody new and it ate up into my schedule. Again, I don't want to overwhelm people and have them pack their schedules with random conversations. That's not the idea. (laughs) But just offer up your your time, your insight, or I'm not really sure what I'm going to get out of this, but it seems interesting to me. And that person seems really interesting to me. Like, like, I don't know exactly what I'm going to get from, but I kind of want to do things like they do. And and that's helped me a lot because I've kind of connected some dots to different people and eventually found that thing that I, I didn't even know was there. Ronald, for example, randomly getting connected to him and giving my insight. Well, I, I think about fraud would, would look like this. And then it was, it just kind of was like, okay, well, let, let's do this. And, yeah. and I, I didn't think that was what I wanted to do. I just, it just kind of came together from being open to have conversations and connect with people. And I know it's harder for, for some people. I, I, maybe I can give you some inspiration. Even though I sound like I like to get out there and talk and I do like to get out there and talk. I have a lot of anxiety that goes along with it too. So mm. it's not just me super comfortable, just love chatting with people and I have no concerns in the world. There's plenty of anxiety that goes along with it. So mm. um, you can you can do it if there's any reservations and hesitation. Maybe just start with simple conversations, connecting with people and wherever you're comfortable. The, you never know where those conversations kind of can go. Yeah. And you can learn things about yourself as you're learning about other people too, right? And can kind of also just remind yourself you're not alone. I mean, and and even if you're not talking about mental health at all, right? It's just yeah. we've most of us have been stuck or not stuck in our homes or not we are, we're not even really having I mean, I haven't had I haven't been in a corporate office environment for almost seven years, but for people that have coworkers and are used to just even like saying hi or asking about the kids soccer game from the weekend before, like we don't have that anymore. So it is good to just kind of have some human connection, even if it is via zoom. (laughs) Yeah. Now mental health disorders aside, just right. Mental health, health, yes, beyond yes, physical stuff. Self, it's, right, everybody has something that they're it's uh, they're in it's in a whole you know family, professional, uh, whatever. It can be something maybe not as serious, but it, it's it's big to you, mm-hmm. and and you got you got to figure out the most constructive ways to work through that. So, from a professional standpoint, you can be as effective as possible because the, the, yeah, that that's what it comes down to. Yeah, um, I've been encouraged. There's a few tech companies, and I've 
really only learned about this in like having meetings with them as clients or whatever, but there's a few large tech companies, I'm sure there's some small ones too, that have started to have like one weekday off every six weeks just to like give people a break from Zoom and give people a break. And that's been great in a corporate environment when that can happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's cl- There's some clever ideas out there. And I think it, you do see it from bigger tech companies that I mm-hmm. think can do it. Because I'm sure companies are like, well, we have a company to run too. How do we, right. how do we, how do we structure this? Like, right. tell me I can't meet with that client on that day or like we don't have anyone to meet with them or whatever it mm-hmm. is. So it's not an easy thing, but I like to see that there's people being more progressive and it, it you, sometimes you got to come up with creative situations for your unique company and what, yeah. fits, what fits your, your working model. It's not going to look the same for every company. So, right. Well, I just appreciate you and this conversation just to kind of wrap it up. What do you hope to see in the next five years in our industry specific to the topic of mental health for fraud fighters, as well as just for our community? Yeah, well, not specific to just about fraud, but a growing, a growing hub of of resources. Again, this is this mm. is not specific to just white papers or or events or jobs, but just things that are going to help direct people who are trying to grow their careers in fraud, mm-hmm. trying to get into fraud. So just that knowledge base. So some of it can be information, some of it can be networking and relationships, some of it can be some type of certification path that is, you know, there's some things out there now, but we can probably have other things too. So just something that'll help people get into fraud, advance in fraud, and have a little bit more direction. Because I think now it's great that we can all come from different areas and find our, carve our own paths. But some people feel super lost as far yeah. as where, where where is my next one? So I see mentorships out, men, mentorships mm. out there. I see lots of great things. So I'd say in the next five years, five years, if, you know, well, companies like About Fraud, lots of others can help add more of those resources out there. Or, or at least be the resource that connects them, mm-hmm. um, that would be really helpful. Because then whatever role you're playing in fraud fighting, just we're just going to have a stronger industry. We'll have stronger solution providers. We'll have stronger end users, merchants, banks, insurance companies, whatever it is. And yeah, I'm excited for it. I, I, I think it's, it's, it's a tall order because there's, there's, there's lots of opportunity, but lots of opportunity to contribute as well. I couldn't agree more. And I do hope that through specific to mental health as well, that we can help even just a little bit, help relieve the stigma a little bit and use whatever, you know, privilege or clout that we have in the industry to say like, Hey, you know, you're not alone if you, whether you've been diagnosed or not. And that doesn't mean that it's going to make you ineffective at your job. Sometimes it can actually lend itself to having a very unique perspective. Yeah, I basically forgot to ask, answer that part of the question. So I like that too. And but yes, from the stigma side of things, it, yeah, if, if if you can wear it as you can share it, you can kind of wear it as a badge of honor. Sometimes it's like, listen, this is something I'm comfortable enough to address to mm-hmm. talk openly about. It's scary, but this is something I support. And so in five years, with the way I think just society is progressing in general, I think we'll be seeing a lot more of that, even outside of the fraud industry. Mm -hmm. Um, So Mm -hmm. I'm very optimistic about that. Me too. 
Me too. Well, PJ, thank you so much for everything you do for the fraud fighting community. And thanks so much for joining me on this podcast. And I will put a link to where people can find you on LinkedIn and uh, about fraud as well in the show notes. Yep. Happy to hop on. Hopefully provide some helpful uh, information. And it's really just good to have a conversation with you because it actually just sounds like a conversation and not a presentation or interview or any of that. <laughs> that's, you know, that's kind of part of my goal, right? Like we can, we can all find presentations, but how often can we just find some conversations with two fraud fighters? And that's you yeah. know, one of Something the Something a little bit more natural. It, it yeah, feels yeah, yeah. yeah, it was my pleasure. So thank you for having me on. Thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.